0: Hey, they're cute, put on your dancing boots Come dance with me Come dance with me What you evening for Some turks Handsome face I know a swinging place Come dance with me Romance with me On a crowded floor And while the rhythm pings Oh, what lovely things
1: I'll
0: be For what is dancing but making love set to music playing when the band begins to
2: Well what is dancing but making love set to music and what lovely things we do say when we dance. We're gonna be talking about dance today with one of our favorite writers, one of our favorite guests. Henry Alford, uh, whose new book is And Then We Danced, A Voyage Into the Groove. And when this was first proposed, when we first got the book, I just said, well, we'll do this show. And then I said, do we need any guests except Henry? I mean, we just talked to Henry. But it turns out we, we decided to have a few other guests. So in the second segment, you're going to hear another uh, longtime friend of the show, David Edelstein, join Henry in a conversation about dance in movies. And then at the end of the show, you're going to hear a dance therapist talk about people who can't dance or won't dance. Don't ask them. Um, And you'll hear an essay from our producer, Jonathan McNichol, who does fit into that category. Um, So that's all to come. But for beginners, yeah, let's uh, start with Henry Alford. Welcome
3: back to The Colin
2: McEnroe Show, Henry.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: This book is so much fun. uh, And um, one of the first points that you make is that when we're young, Let me see if I can phrase this as inclusively as possible. When we're young, when we're teenagers or preteens, dancing is one of the first things that we can do with someone toward whom we might have other physical inclinations that are not ready to be acted upon, right? Dancing is a way that we can engage physically with someone we might ultimately be sexually attracted to without necessarily declaring our sexual intentions. Is that fair?
3: Yeah. Oh, totally. I think, yeah, it's for many of us, it's our first non-televisual, non-parental exposure to the war between the sexes, for lack of better words.
2: (laughs) Or not always the war. I mean, there's so many things (laughs) that go on. One of the things, I should save this for the Edelstein conversation, but I do think one of the things that's fading away a little bit is that moment in movies of the past Although it does happen in The Dark Knight Rises, where two characters want to speak privately in a public setting, and so what they do is they dance. They touch dance, and there's that notion, and it's there when Christian Bale and Marianne Cotillard do it in The Dark Knight Rises, that... They're having a conversation with their mouths. They're having a conversation dancing. Some of the conversation they're having while dancing is also uh, uh, sort of a, a herald of things that, that might be coming later that uh, are perhaps a, a little bit more personal. And, and that's sort of that weird idea part of communication in dancing, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's there are countless examples of people who either because they're tongue tied or they're uptight or they're thinking too much, uh, yeah, are just unable to express what's really on their mind. But as you know, the famed choreographer Martha Graham once said, movement never lies. So it's really tricky to lie to someone via gesture
2: <laughs> so with that in mind uh right near the beginning of the book uh you uh, tell us uh, a little anecdote from your past uh, just to get you in the mood i'm gonna uh give you the music you need to just quickly tell this story all right take it away henry
3: Earth, wind, fire, the, the three elements battling for the destiny of my soul. Um, no, simply to say that this was the first time that I can remember ever actively enjoying dancing. Mm-hmm. Was it, uh my friend Carolyn? Uh, this is the mid-70s. I'm about 14 years old. Um, and this girl who I was enamored of. Uh, had bought this record and because at that point in my life I was very anxious to c- convince myself that I was heterosexual. I swaggered over to her house um, on my Schwinn uh, banana-seated bicycle. I had um, uh, the the bicycle had come with um, long, like five-inch-long tassels, and I had I had trimmed them be- because I thought that would make me look more masculine. <laughs> um, so I swaggered over and. Carolyn and I and joined by a third friend all danced to Shining Star and it was spectacular you know it was totally awkward as all adolescent experience is And full of, you know, manufactured squirming and and lots of ritual humiliation. But it's, yeah, that is what I pinpoint as the first time I ever actually liked dancing.
2: Dancing can be used for both good and for evil. Um, Let's do evil first. uh, One of the things I was not aware of until I read your book was uh, the connection of Henry Ford to square dancing, which in turn connected to some of. Henry Ford's other ideas about life.
3: Yeah, right. So he thought that um, sort of the purity of American um Values lay in neighborliness, and part of neighborliness was square dancing. So he was very active in getting uh, square dancing into the curriculum of um, public schools in uh, a couple of cities in Michigan. And he uh, taught or had, you know, had square dancing taught to a lot of his employees at his own company. Um, But yeah, the dark. Underside is at the same time he was, you know, a real nativist um, with some very uh, virulent anti Semitism swirling around all of these ideas. So, not all for good.
2: Now, you know, in some ways we've moved into a time when, although there are dead steps that are popular and dance crazes that that need to be learned if you're going to be able to do them. Uh, It's also increasingly the case that you can kind of do things free form. But your book takes us on a little journey back to the time when you really kind of had to learn dance steps. You know, it was important to learn dance steps. And um, actually, just by chance, Henry, last night I was having dinner uh, with a few friends on the Fourth of July and it included the granddaughter of this man.
0: I had a week to spare he showed me the groundwork
2: so Henry Alfred uh, you spend some time talking to the daughter uh, of uh, Arthur Murray Phyllis McDowell who's also been on this show uh, as has her daughter Dooby McDowell uh, and uh, one thing that I'm going to tell you that you might you might not know is that uh-huh. that their family includes two famous people one of them is Arthur Murray. Uh, the other one is Dr. Heimlich, uh, who is also... I did know who that. I you?
3: did know that because because Arthur Murray's had twin daughters, Phyllis McDowell and Jane, and Jane married Dr. Heimlich. So she was Mrs. Heimlich right. maneuver. Right. Your their,
2: their family coat of arms is, says, dance until you choke. Um, <laughs> so I've used that joke about eight times. So, um, So Arthur Murray, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people younger than you and I know who Arthur Murray is, maybe you better explain.
3: Well, so at mid-century, you know, in the 1950s, his name was synonymous with ballroom dancing. Um, that he he was really it. Uh, he was one of the most shrewd impresarios ever. He really knew that um, dancing is this kind of bastion of social insecurity. So... Uh, figuring that out, he positioned his whole company, and you know, by the by the 1990s, I think there were 400 of his dance studios all over the country. Um, but he knew how to. Um, try to allay students of their anxieties through dance. Uh, because he himself, you know, uh, was a stutterer when he was growing up, and, and dance helped him to gain confidence, and he wanted to bring that to other people.
2: Right. It's very weird, because I, I was having dinner with Grace Duvet last night, who's his great-granddaughter, and... Uh... Came home and started reading your book, and I thought, "Oh my God!" Um, so, but <laughs> as we so, know, a tiny world, right, Connecticut is basically Mayberry. Um, so, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit too about one of the things you get into is sort of the politics and the symbolism uh, uh, of dancing. I, you know, I thought that one of the most significant aspects. Of the eight years stretching from 2009 to 2016 was having a first lady who was a remarkably good dancer. Michelle Obama would go, you know, do these comedy dance routines with Jimmy Fallon or she'd go and she'd go on some other show and learn a dance step, you know, with a bunch of kids there uh, and then do it. Um, That her whole idea of kind of get your body moving uh, kind of bled into the fact that she was a very comfortable dancer.
3: She was. No, she was fabulous. And, you know, look at how Hillary Clinton tried to sort of steal a little of that thunder, um, you know, just months before the um, the, uh, the last political election. Hillary gets on the radio and says, I think we all need a big national dance. Um, and Hillary obviously has so many fabulous qualities, but the ability to get down is not chief among them. (laughs) Although she
2: may be thinking back, uh, Henry, to happier times. In uh, and, and particular, to the convention of 1996, which, uh, if you recall, the this, that was the summer of the Macarena, uh, and which I would argue is the last truly sweeping crossover dance craze. You, you may contradict me, uh, but I mean it was. And so, up in the seats, up in the stands of the convention, and the delegations, and so people were just doing the Macarena all the time. Anytime there was kind of a lull, it would be played, and they would start doing it. And then Al Gore, f- you know, famously came out on stage and said. Uh, you know that he want, he said i want you to sh- just show you the allegorical version of the macarena and he just stood there <laughs> and then he said he said do you want to see it again um, but but that was I, I don't know has there been anything as as widespread you know i mean the harlem shake notwithstanding has there been anything since 96 that sort of penetrated as deeply as the macarena
3: well something that it didn't penetrate quite as deeply but it went in in into various um, microcosms was the Running Man Challenge of 2016. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so that's a couple of uh, New Jersey teenagers start um, making videos of street dancing to this particular song called My Boo. Uh, The NFL and the NBA pick it up, and they start making videos to the same song. And for them, it's sort of like, you know, they're flexing muscles or they're trying to psych out the competition. But then the really fascinating thing was it gets picked up by the police departments all over the country. So the cops start all making these running man videos. And for them who, you know, because this is in the midst of the Black Lives Matters movement, for them, it's totally about brand management you know it's completely about um yeah we look like you know uh, uh, kind of racist defenders of justice but we're not immune to the pleasures of precision choreography right.
2: <laughs> well, uh, by the way we're talking to henry alford his new book is and then we danced uh, a voyage into the groove so so yeah i mean i think that sort of that cuts both ways. I was looking at all kinds of footage today, getting ready for our conversation, and I went back and looked at Serena Williams doing the Crip Walk. I think it was in 2012 after a big victory. I think it might have been in the Olympic tennis. And, and there's a way in which at that moment she's saying, as a black athlete playing tennis, which is a game that had, has mainly been a white game for most of its history, she's kind of, doing by doing the Crip Walk, kind of saying, we're here you know
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly no and people i mean again that's what you know dance has can be so freighted with meaning so there she is sending a signal to her tribe and uh why not
2: so and, and to that point one of the things you talk about in the book is the cakewalk which may have been uh, one of the original uh, dance crazes but had quite a bit of political and historic baggage with it right
3: yeah right because it starts out as um slaves who are kind of m- gently mocking their p- the plantation owners cuz it has you um the cakewalk has you kicking your legs up in the air like a like a like a very fancy sparkle pony mm-hmm. um and then the plantation owner seeing how cool it is they start doing it so it's like they're kind of aping their slaves aping themselves, so it gets very complicated and mirror-lined.
2: One thing that we don't have to worry about is spoiling this book for people, because there's so much in this book, and Henry Alfred, as he typically does, as is his custom, has thrown himself bodily uh, into a whole series of Fairly unwise challenges. Uh, <laughs> so, but I just in a general way, I want to say so, one of the things that you have often done o- over the course of your career is d- do something that you have never done before uh, in order to write about it using your own liabilities, shall we say, for comic purposes. Um, and, and you do it very effectively. Here, I just wondered I mean, ultimately, after you've done all these different things and it involves, you know, really trying to. Uh, master a, a ballet, a series of ballet moves, and trying to be part of a, a Twyla Tharp thing in which it turns out you're part. Uh, in this Twilight art performance was meant to uh, demonstrate the deterioration <laughs> from expertise to, to, to uh, untutored, I guess. But I mean you, you used your body in a lot of ways and, and I you know I could name a whole bunch of other ones. Did you I don't know, was there a, a net takeaway, like an Uber takeaway uh, from all that, something that you sort of learned about all the worlds that you visited?
3: Well, I mean, just this idea that anyone can dance. I I think there is this idea that... uh, you know, ideally you are 26 years old and very lithe and skinny and you spend eight hours a day in a dance studio. But no, I mean, some of the most fabulous dancers who I've seen or danced with in the past five years while working on this book uh, were over 60, were overweight, were people who dance because they have a lot of trauma for some for one reason or other. Um so yeah I, I just I don't think people should let um age or situation or body mass you know be an impediment.
2: You know one of the little things that uh, that jumped out at me in the book was partly because I'm fascinated by the, all these people but uh, I think you've got a calling up Michael Jackson after he after he demonstrates the moonwalk isn't um, that crazy that he said, anecdote? Yeah and he says well you tell you tell the story
3: Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I got so excited. No, I shouldn't be telling the story. This is your story. You should be telling the story. (laughs) Um, So it's, I believe it's 1983. It's the first time Michael Jackson ever does the moonwalk. Uh, He does it on a TV, uh, a Motown uh, retrospective. And Fred Astaire calls him the next day and says, man, you really put them on their asses last night. You're an angry dancer, just like me. Yeah,
2: and that's like we don't think of uh, Fred that way, and we don't even necessarily think of Michael that way. Although you go on to point out that Gene Kelly was famously uh, a, a hothead. Uh, yeah, but, but
3: yeah, and a you, and a pugilist, and Michael Jackson. I mean, you can you can get that idea from him just because of the you know, because of the setting of the video thriller, et cetera, et cetera. But Fred Astaire, that that was crazy to me, that he viewed himself as an angry dancer. Um, but there's, you know, if you read uh, Brian Siebert's book, he did a big history of tap dance, he points out that, y- you know, Astaire loved thinking of himself as an outlaw, um, that he had a kind of gangster style, that beneath all the debonair smoothness, there is this real tendency and desire to like, you know, kick things off of tables and and knock hats off of people. And uh, yeah, it's just it's the opposite of what we think.
2: All right, I think we're going to grab a break here because this is a good segue to uh, talking about dancing in the movies. We're talking to Henry Alfred right now. His book is a- "And Then We Danced: A Voyage into the Groove," uh, in which he really kind of does uh, a quick tour of the entire world of dance and attempts, as we say, very imprudent things with very interesting results. Uh, we're going to talk more about dance in the movies right after this.
4: Steven. Close your eyes.
1: Two, two, three, four. Two, four, two. If you close four. your eyes, you can see the music. You
3: can too. Did you ever try?
2: All right, we're about to talk about dancing in the movies, uh, and we're going to do it with, wow, I've got two of my favorite guests on the show now. Uh, Henry Alford, author of And Then We Danced, A Voyage Into the Groove, and David Edelstein, who probably holds the record for most appearances on this show at this point, uh, my friend and also America's Greatest Living Film Critic for New York Magazine, NPR's uh, Fresh Air for CBS Sunday Morning, uh, and lots of other things uh, as well. So, uh, first of all, David, welcome to the conversation that Henry and I have already
1: begun. Thank you very much. I'm enjoying Henry's book as we speak, so ah. it's quite a pleasure to uh, to talk.
2: So, David, uh, I think we'll probably have a conversation that follows our usual pattern, which is I will say things and then you'll correct me. Um, but um, So one thing that I would say is I feel like there's sort of two epochs in, in dance in movies, and, and there's the epoch that is... Um, is defined by Gene Kelly and the Nicholas Brothers and Fred Astaire and Ann Miller and Sid Charisse. We could go on and on and on. People kind of dancing better than we ever could um, and in a way that is just meant to entertain and excite us. And then kind of a modern era that does include uh, movies like Footloose and Flashdance and Saturday Night Fever and Dirty Dancing and Fame. You know, people dancing... Albert Goldman, I think, talked about uh, Saturday Night Fever being uh, the, the uh, first demonstration of the narrowness between the professional and the amateur. They're like people dancing and they're only kind of better than we are. All right, set, go ahead, set me straight.
1: <laughs> well, it's very interesting, though, that you, all those dancers, I mean, obviously uh, Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire danced together at several points but they were very different and all those other people you mentioned, and you could throw in Busby Berkeley and the, the people who danced with the Ziegfeld Follies, they're, they're very, very disparate. What what connects them is that, uh, you know, filmmakers had a different idea of shooting dance back then, which was just you want to see as much of the bodies as possible, and you want to see them move fluidly. You don't want to screw it up with too much editing, because there's really nothing more miraculous than Fred Astaire seeming to defy gravity or or, um, or Donald O'Connor running up a wall or or... I mean that—that's what—that's what we remember. When we get to the era of not so much Saturday Night Fever, but Flashdance, I remember Pauline Kael said, um, "You know, that's not how bodies move. That's how Cuisinards move." And the—the, the, you know, the—the w- the person who was dancing was was the editor there. You know, it really wasn't. Um, you know, it was Jennifer Beals striking poses and uh, rather clunkily in her stand-in uh doing doing somewhat more vigorous aerobics but it wasn't anything that i that i think of as dance or that i want to think of as dance so i, I guess maybe the connecting figure would be bob fossey um but the thing is bob fossey is really you know the great example of a uh a choreographer dancer who was also a director and who kind of knew how to cut bot around bodies um, you know, his style is often referred to as twitch and slink. Um, uh, you know, that was sort of his standard move. Arlene Croce said, you know, he had a gift for making his uh, his limitations look like bold artistic choices. But what, whatever. The point is, he figured out, in, especially in cabaret, how to edit dance in a way that was exciting, you know, that, that used the, the cutting in order to kind of drive the beat home, in order to to... to to sort of viscerally jolt you um, while you watch these bodies in motion, but the people who came after him, uh, including Rob Marshall, who was, uh, is sort of like the third-rate uh, uh, Bob Fosse who did Chicago, which Fosse originally did on stage, they just made a hash of it, you know? There's nothing more heartbreaking than going to see uh, the film of A Chorus Line, um, you know, which I saw twice on stage, and... Uh, directed by Richard Attenborough, and the bodies are all chopped into pieces. There's no fluidity, there's nothing. A lot of people, you know, criticized uh, La La Land on the basis of the fact that there were two performers they said couldn't dance. Yes, I was one of those people. (laughs) Yeah, well, but, you know, two beautiful people wearing beautiful clothing, and they are, and you see their entire bodies, it's done in one take. To me, that was pure joy. I don't care if they weren't, uh, I don't care if they weren't Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers well, to good, me. Well, good
2: because they, they weren't. Were,
1: they were beautiful to me. They were beautiful, and it was absolutely enchanting what they did. Just because I got to see the bodies—that's <laughs> such a rare thing in a, in a movie these days. I well, mean, you 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 see more of it on Dancing with the Stars, as as crazy as that is. I even one of the best dancing films ever that everybody should see is the. Uh, Vim uh, Wim Wendor's 3-D film of Pina Bausch dances. 3-D puts you in the middle of the stage. You cannot believe... I mean, they have the great form now for shooting dance.
2: Well, I, no, I, want to, I, want to, I want to swing this back over to Henry for just a second, who currently is uh, putting his wrist up to his forehead with his fingers spread in his favorite uh, Bob Fosse uh, dance pose. But, so, Henry, I, I think another thing that goes on here, another thing that goes on in this transition um, is... And let's take La La Land and some of this other stuff out of the picture. We go through a period where there's a bunch of movies that are self-consciously about dancing. So Flashdance, Footloose, Dirty Dancing. These are all movies where, as opposed to Astaire and and Rogers just you know breaking out into some fabulous dance thing in the course of some other plot about a completely different subject. These are all movies that are asking the question, am I going to dance?
3: Yeah. <laughs> It's true. And again, the name Fosse pops up because if you think about Cabaret and Chicago, his two biggest hits, none of the numbers in in either of those works are people breaking out into song on the street. We're always on a stage somehow, or we're always watching a production within this production. So I think he's sort of responsible for that that whole meta direction.
1: Well, well, wait a minute. I mean, it also uh, don't forget is that audiences just no longer, after the bust of mus- all those terrible musicals in the '60s, those overblown m- musicals that nearly sank the studios. People just they just couldn't pretend anymore. They couldn't they couldn't go with it. You <laughs> needed that Brechtian framing. Uh, notice I got Brecht in here to um, <laughs> to kind of. Um, you know, otherwise, they just say, "Well, wait, why is that guy dancing? why is he Why is he breaking out into song? Dance had to become uh un- unless it was integrated into the plot, like you know in as in dirty dancing um which which had its own political um subtext or maybe uber text i don't know um uh and Saturday night Fever. but apart from that w- yes it, it dance has now gotten more realistic in the sense that it is acknowledged to be dance um, as opposed to heightened behavior as as opposed to the uh, apotheosis of sex or whatever else we've talked about well henry i'm
2: also wondering whether some of the movies we're talking about a lot of them uh, are movies of rebellion you write about this in the book too that dirty dancing is a movie of rebellion footloose obviously a movie uh, of a rebellion flash dance also to a certain degree right these are uh, uh, dancing becomes kind of a placeholder what for a bunch of other things
3: yeah that it's a way for even the 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 preternaturally shy and recessive to, yeah, express themselves because there are a lot of us who d- avoid conflict. But if you put us on a dance floor, we can kick, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can, we know how to get you away from us.
2: And 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 David, I'm also thinking that in a way, Hairspray is an interesting movie because obviously it's set uh, uh, in the past, but it's a movie. It's a movie and a show that's kind of about that whole question and about the white appropriation of black dance styles and about.
1: Well, well, wait a minute. Uh, okay. We're talking about two different things here. We're talking about John Waters' Hairspray, right. Which is the hairspray I love, which is about the Corny Collins show was. Uh, a version of of a show that he watched he rushed home from every day to watch to to look at the absurd hairstyles mostly mm-hmm. and uh and that was. You know, one of the early attempts to integrate, you know, live uh, live television in the Baltimore area, and so it really did, and 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 it just fits so beautifully into John Waters' sort of campy uh, squares versus straight, uh, squares versus freaks. Sorry, I know we're not supposed to use those words, but that's how he always put it because he loved the freaks. He mm. and so dancing became the ultimate expression of one's freakishness that's a little bit different from footloose and uh and flashdance and but it's it's kind of a great joke that you know it then became this big family musical that uh that you know everybody now flocks to and actually john waters was very disappointed he didn't get a g for it. he got a PG for Well,
2: it. Henry, actually, we should say that one of the things that you write about is American Bandstand, which is kind of the reality, uh, one of the realities of that fiction. We're almost out of time here, but American Bandstand is kind of an interesting moment where, in fact, people kind of need to learn a whole new set of dance steps and ways of dancing.
3: Well, and also it nationalized swing dancing, that prior to that, every uh, region or every community even had its own little spin on swing dancing. But once you put it on television, then everyone's taking cues from the same source.
2: Right. But And I also think, you know, at a certain point, as dancing changed... You know, television, whether it was De Clark or whether it was I mean, we had versions of it around here, uh, like as as did Baltimore and then a little bit later, Shindig and Hullabaloo and stuff like that. You kind of learned dancing pretty much the way Tracy does in, in Hairspray by watching it on television.
3: Yeah, right. Sure. No, and and that's fascinating to watch. Uh, and Dirty Dancing, we should point out. I mean, you know, Jennifer Grey wasn't a dancer, and so Baby's story in that movie is Jennifer Grey's story. So we love to view. You know, we love to see someone go through the steps of learning how to dance.
2: Um, all right. Well, we're going to have to stop the conversation there, but thanks to uh, America's Greatest Living Film Critic, David Edelstein, and to Henry Alford, uh, whose book is And Then We Danced: A Voyage Into the Groove. I do want to say, we have barely scratched the surface of what is in this book, so I don't feel as though, having listened to this, you don't need to run out and buy this book. Uh, obviously you do. Uh, and um, I want to say also that coming up, we have a really interesting essay by one of our producers, Jonathan McNichol, about, he's one of those guys who won't dance. Don't ask him. Uh, we'll also talk to an expert in chorophobia, which is in fact the uh, true clinical, not mere reluctance uh, to dance, but fear of dancing. All of that is to come, so don't leave us.
3: spend most of our lives six degrees from kevin bacon but when we dance we are kevin bacon Today's show is produced by josh nalea kevin bacon
5: and me Kyone wolf amanda fish stars in fish dance a remake of flash dance our
3: intern is jason perez the part of bill curry was played by arthur murray and now back to colin Sing
0: it Mr. and Mrs. Smith is the movie that introduced Angelina Jolie to Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie to the rest of us. She's with me. In it, Jolie and Pitt play Jane and John, Jane. eventually Mr. and Mrs. Smith, John. a married couple who also happen to be secretly, separately, spies. On the night they meet, the future Smiths drink, The
5: Dodging Bullets.
4: The dodging bullets.
0: and they dance.
5: So it speaks. But does it
0: dance? That sigh. John's sigh, Brad Pitt's sigh, his level of enthusiasm there as a reaction to Angelina Jolie asking him to dance, he's just this quiet, resigned
5: sigh.
0: I identify with that sigh completely. Dancing is, at best, a chore, a thing I do reluctantly when I feel like I have to, which for me probably isn't when Angelina Jolie's asking, but I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm, you know, 5'6", kind of pasty, built, let's say, unathletically. But that's the thing, even Brad Pitt sighs about dancing, or at least the characters he plays might, and the characters he plays still look and move and, I don't know, presumably probably even smell like Brad Pitt.
4: Okay, so just going to test the levels here. Okay.
0: I I sent one of our interns, Zandra Ellen, out into the world to talk to some other not Brad Pitt type guys.
4: So, do you dance?
3: Not publicly.
0: <laughs> because I kind of feel like this is sort of the standard boring guy point of view about dancing, right?
2: Do you dance?
1: On occasions. In the house. Where do you dance? In the comfort of my own home, I think where no one
0: can see me. Zandra didn't really find a guy who'd own up to dancing without a qualifier or three.
2: I'm not a great dancer, but, you know, I'll try. You know, a couple of drinks, I'll I'll try my
3: dancing.
5: (laughs) Do you dance? Yeah, after a few drinks, I think I'm all right, yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. What kind of dancing do you tend to do in your own home? Oh, God.
3: Just kind of awkward bopping around (laughs) more than anything, I think. Yeah.
0: It's always been my take that generally girls, women, like to dance, and men don't. But why? What's that about? I mean, you know, dancing is kind of like a thing where you have to be free. Some men, it's kind of like a macho attitude, ego sort of thing, but... Or put another way, from a woman's point of view, men don't like to dance.
5: Because they're uptight, and I think that they're so worried that people are looking at them.
0: I'll tell you what, I am absolutely worried that people are looking at me. And, like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Because, I mean, if some good dancey music, if something with a beat comes on, I'll start moving my hips, shaking my uh, stuff a little bit. Maybe my shoulders go a little too, but what am I supposed to do with, like, my legs? Where do my arms go? (laughs) Um, This is my wife, Katie.
5: When I think of you dancing, I think of you standing with your two feet on the ground and moving your hips probably in a way that feels more dynamic to you than actually looks like it from the outside?
0: We've been together going on seven years, and we've been dancing together a while longer than that.
5: I think you think you're moving more than you are?
0: I don't think that. Movement is usually the thing I'm trying to suppress when there are other people around.
5: I don't think you're comfortable with it.
0: I am not.
5: I like to dance. I like the joy I feel when I'm really getting into it, and it makes that joy more so when I feel like you're experiencing it also. There's like a thing where I would want to share that experience separately, but at the same time on the dance floor.
0: You're saying to be really doing this correctly, I would would be a totally detached satellite with all of my own limbs going in all of their own directions? Yes. This is my worst (laughs) nightmare. (laughs) But here's the real question. Do you think I'm a bad dancer?
5: No, I think you're a restrained dancer.
0: Is there a difference between being a bad dancer and a restrained dancer?
5: Yeah, I don't think anybody is really a bad dancer if they let themselves just go with it. If you're enjoying how your body is moving, it's not bad. I just don't want to call anybody a bad dancer.
0: Mm, That's reassuring.
5: I mean, you can look at somebody and, and go like, wow, they're not... And some people are more fluid in their movements and more aesthetically pleasing to watch. But if somebody's enjoying dancing, then it's not bad.
0: But then, is the opposite true? If someone is not enjoying dancing, then is it bad? It's painful to watch, and therefore, it's bad. So you think I'm a bad dancer?
5: No, when you're when you're making your restrained motions, it can be painful sometimes. I just think you need to be more confident, uninhibited.
0: Uninhibited confidence is exactly what I've gotten out of this conversation. To make matters worse, and to spoil this tiny plot point for you, Brad Pitt's spy assassin John Smith and his reassuringly boring guy reluctance to dance? Dance with me. It's all a sham.
5: You don't dance. It's just part of my cover, sweetie.
2: That's our own Jonathan McNichol, not the producer of this episode, but one of the producers of this show. He's talking about a pretty familiar thing. I'd like to say, it's not familiar to me. I'm apparently a girl because I love to dance and I don't care who's looking at me. It doesn't mean I'm a good dancer. It just means I don't care. So joining us to talk a little bit more about this is someone who's written about it and thought about it uh, way more than you have, Christina Devereaux, a board-certified dance movement therapist as well as clinical associate professor and program director in the dance movement therapy and counseling program at Drexel University. And she has written about something that she calls and which I guess is called chorophobia. Christina, before we actually get down to the clinical part of this, uh, you listened to that essay, What did you hear? Just give me your instant reaction to it.
4: Actually, what I heard Jonathan saying in many, many ways is he was communicating to his wife, will you accept me as who I am, and can I be myself with you, and can I find that part of myself as I'm moving? This desire for all of us that we all feel to just be who we are is exactly the premise, at least in my profession, dance movement therapy, which is the start of building a relationship that we we start with where the client is, which might be withdrawn or uncomfortable or unclear. There is a continuum of interest in dance and our own interest in dancing. There's lots of forms of expression, so it certainly doesn't have to be everyone's form of expression. We would encourage people to find that spark in them, but there are also parts of dance that could, for some people, become debilitating. There is something called chorophobia, which is one of the main categories in a specific phobia where an individual experiences really extreme irrational fear of something that poses little or no actual danger. I didn't see this level of fear in Jonathan, but Mm. there are people that do. They get completely uncomfortable, can even get distressed of any situation that's associated to dance that can bring on panic attacks or even severe anxiety
2: by the way I would agree that we're in the case of Jonathan and and most guys who are uncomfortable with dancing and it is a lot of guys I don't think we're looking at chorophobia I, I think we're looking at somebody who's just a little inhibited inhibited trying to do something that really does require an abandonment of some perhaps even most uh, inhibitions. But a lot of people do deal with that. We should point out, just from your writing, Christina, that uh, Jonathan perhaps made a mistake in harping on Brad Pitt. (laughs) He should have picked Johnny Depp, right? Johnny Depp has got the same problem.
4: I mean, I certainly can't speak about Johnny Depp's experience, but he certainly has communicated in some public forums, I think on the Ellen DeGeneres show, that he felt that he was so afraid of dancing that he said during an interview with Ellen, I fear dancing more than anything in the world and that he'd rather swallow a bag of hair than dance so that's a pretty awful experience it sounds like that even Johnny has kind of interpreted I don't think Johnny or Jonathan are alone in their experience of of movement the body is holding all of our emotions vulnerabilities and all of our experiences and memories And memories sometimes could be explicit, things that we can recall. And sometimes memories are implicit, things that we don't necessarily have words for or can understand, why am I feeling this way? But it's stored in our soma, in our body. And this sometimes comes out in, in fear of movement or fear of showing myself to you. It can come from lots of early experiences that we might not even be aware of.
2: First of all, I wonder, Christina, if we're paying a price for the transition that was made probably circa 1960s, from uh, formalized dance to more free-form uh, free kind of dance. And, and what I mean is that my father grew up, I mean, my, fa- my father, as it happened, didn't dance either, but uh, my father grew up in a world where you learned to dance. In other words, you learned to do the foxtrot and basic box steps and stuff like that so that when Benny Goodman started playing, you know, at least if it wasn't like a big swing tune where you really had to uh, have your act together, you could do something and you knew what you were supposed to do and it was formalized enough so that you weren't putting your own impulses on exhibit or anything like that. I mean, as the 60s came along and people started to do started to do Boogaloo and Watusi and stuff like that, I wonder if that sort of put us into a shakier ground.
4: It's possible, but I would also say that dance has been part of culture, ceremony, ritual for centuries, and people certainly use movement in free form, outlets just to be expressive of something celebratory or even something that brings up sorrow or sadness funerals so we do know that cultural practices and traditions all over the world that dance provides an adaptable sometimes physical form of movement that can elevate mood and that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's structured but we do sometimes feel that there might be a certain right way or a wrong way to move and that could come from some of the cultural expectations around there is the right way to dance and there is the wrong way to dance but in fact actually it sounds as if in this example jonathan's wife is saying i want you to be yourself Mm -hmm. and how do we find that
2: right i think also there are some cultural overlays to this And they even exist, apparently, in outer space. I'm going to play a quick clip here. This is from Guardians of the Galaxy, where uh, Star-Lord, the character played by Chris Pratt, uh, is talking to uh, Zoe Saldana's uh, character, Gamora, uh, and he's trying to explain even what dance is. She's not familiar with this idea. Or you can dance. I'm a warrior and an assassin. I do not dance. Really?
0: Well, on my planet, there's a legend about people like you. It's called
2: Footloose. And in it, a great hero. Named Kevin Bacon. He teaches an entire city
0: full of people with sticks up their butts that dancing, well wow. it's the greatest thing there is.
5: Who put the sticks up their butts?
0: What no, that's just a That
2: is cruel.
5: Just a
0: phrase people.
2: So Christina sticks up their butts is one way of putting it. But what we know from that movie, too, is that there's this kind of religious repressive overlay, right? Dancing is the devil's work. Dancing is something that you do to put yourself in a place that distances you from righteousness. I mean, that's an idea that has crept into the culture. And I wonder how much it has to do with some people's reluctance to dance.
4: Absolutely. In some cultures and some religions, exactly, moving and moving with others can be sinful or wrong. And in other cultures, moving and moving with others can enlighten you and can bring you to a state of ecstasy. There's a New Zealand culture, they do a dance called the Kachuk. and there's a rhythmic sounding that happens that actually brings them into a state of trance. So I think we we see a whole continuum here of the comfort and the experiences of how our culture has shaped us, how our experiences in life, perhaps even the communication that's been happening from our loved ones about their own comfort in their own body and their own body expression, their own use of the body as a form of expression. But it's kind of like like flexing a a new muscle when we start to learn how to use the body not as something to move away from or or in in particular, but something to become a resource for us. So we're kind of needing to retrain for those that are in an extreme fear state to retrain our brain and our body that moving can elicit different experiences. And, And this does not need to be exaggerated movement or dance steps or particular routines, but merely even working with the body's natural rhythms, such as attending to our breath or rocking to the rhythm of music and engaging natural movements of walking or gesturing or changing posture. And and these can be subtle places that we can start if we're uncomfortable to just start to find that we actually have our own impulse And we actually have our own natural rhythms that start to propel us and move us into our own expression.
2: Christina Devereaux, we could do a whole show about my next question, uh, and you've devoted a substantial part of your career to my next question. (laughs) We're going to have to instead do this in a very um, succinct way. But, uh, Mm. you know, I mean, there really are medical benefits to dancing. Dance, you are a board-certified dance and movement therapist. Um, This is a real thing, right? It can be used to treat uh, all kinds of conditions.
4: Absolutely. We know through our empirical research that dance can reduce anxiety, that it can stimulate memories. It can provide a slower opportunity for dementia to take hold. It activates our pleasure circuits, our serotonin levels. Dance can regulate mood. It can improve body image. There's lots of research that talks about dancing, integrating several brain functions all at once. We have our kinesthetic sense, Is engaged, our relational, moving in relationship with others, social connections, we have musical and emotional and these further increasing your neural activity and connectivity. But if we are in a state of fear and this is important, then our body is telling us that we are in a state of risk, perhaps when we are not at risk. So the work to support those that are having a real irrational fear of movement is to first bring them into a state of safety, and then we can start from there with building relationship and building connection to our own inner impulse. But we can't push somebody to love dancing just because we know what the benefits are. We have to start slowly, just about finding, again, our own impulse our
1: body
2: already does and moves. Right, hence that expression, dance like no one's looking. Christina Devereaux, a board-certified dance movement therapist, as well as clinical associate professor and program director in the Dance Movement Therapy and Counseling Program at Drexel University and someone who has written about chorophobia. Thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you very much.
2: And it's time, alas, for us to say goodbye. We've had a lot of fun doing this show, and thanks to everybody who helped out. I had Kai and Wolf working overtime pulling clips for me. Uh, Josh Nilea put this whole thing together, and I hope you had as much fun as we did. How could I? I
0: won't, I won't dance. dance. Mercy. Mercy. Mercy.
1: 阿豪